So we're in we agnostics, and it says in the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. So in the first three chapters, did we learn something of alcoholism? Did we learn that we might have an abnormal reaction to chemicals? How many of you have never had that explained to you, that allergy? You ever heard that it didn't make any sense because when you got an allergy to something else, you had a different experience? But an allergy is just an abnormal reaction. Where's my drinkers? When you drank, did you find that it energized you? Okay, that's a sedative, so that would be an abnormal reaction to the sedative alcohol. So if you have that, then you might want to read further in the book. It makes sense. Where's my opiate addicts? Did you find that that powerful sedative energized you? In fact, you got very fucking energetic when you got it, right? If you didn't nod out right away, you got real, okay. And if you nodded out right away, you blew the whole frickin' deal, right? Ah, shit. Okay, all right. Okay, so it says, we hope we've made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. The one symptom we have in common is that abnormal reaction. So if you have put stimulants in your body and they calmed you down, if you put sedatives in your body and they sped you up, you might want to read further. Fair enough? Okay. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, is that true for you? Stop and stay stopped. Or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, is that true for you? Did you ever try to control it? Sometimes it was, I don't know. How would I know? Anyway, if those, one of those conditions exists, you says you're probably alcoholic. And then it says, if that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. So that would be why me as an atheist or an agnostic might want to read this chapter because this is the agnostic saying, we found ourselves where you are and we've since changed our mind. And here's, here's how that happened. Does it make sense? So let's, let's dive, dive into it. So to one who feels he's an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. So they're speaking right to the doubters among us. The atheist believes that God doesn't exist. The, someone's been here before. That's really good. When we say God, you say power. So the agnostic believes that God cannot be proven to exist which is probably a bigger, that's why there's a chapter for them, because there's a lot more doubters than there are firm unbelievers. Make sense? Okay. All right, so such an experience, experience seems impossible, but to continue as he is means disaster, especially if he's an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. So have some of you come to believe that you may be an addict of the hopeless variety? On any given day, right? Okay. So now they're going to talk to us about an alternative. Now they told us that in the step one experience, if we are alcoholic, we've lost the power of choice. So they're not going to speak to us of choices anymore. They're going to talk to us about alternatives. And I'm not trying to confuse, but an alternative is not a choice. Right? An alternative is I'm already on a train that is going to jump the rails. Or I can hold on to a pole and see what happens next. 
Many of you relate to that with your addiction? So they're going to talk about it. To be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. So the poll I'm talking about is living life on a spiritual basis when I've been living, at least in my estimation, something less than spiritual. And it's not turning out as well as I'd hoped. Any of you find yourself there? Actually, if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, you actually were living a life in the spirit. You were just in synthetic spirits instead of... That's why they call it spirits. Okay. All right, so, but it isn't so difficult. About half our original fellowship were of exactly that type. So what type? Atheists or agnostics? About half. What were the other half? Believers dying regardless of their belief. How many, do we encompass everybody? Probably, right? Okay. So at first, some of us tried to avoid the issue, hoping against hope we were not true alcoholics. So how many of you... I'm not that bad yet. Okay? Since it says that we, after a while we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. So they're going to talk to us about a manner of living. They're not going to talk to us about works. They're not going to talk to they're talking to us about a manner of living. So if we're thinking this is a workbook, it's not. It's a it's a way to live based on spiritual disciplines that keeps you in awakened state more of the time. Yeah? Awaken to the present moment, awaken to the inner being, yeah? Okay, perhaps it's going to be that way with you, but cheer up, something like half of us thought we were atheists or agnostics. Our experience shows that you need not be disconcerted. So if you're among the atheist or the agnostic, they're telling you they had a profound experience that changed their mind. They didn't remain as they were, because to remain as they were would be to die probably not as quickly as they wanted, right? Okay. So it says, if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. But we found that such codes and philosophies did not change us, save us no matter how much we tried. So how many of you have tried changing your philosophies in your... Okay. Did you find that you had a hard time maintaining those new principles? because lack of power was still my dilemma, yes? Okay, so we could wish to be moral, we could wish to be philosophically comforted, in fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. How many of you have been in the spin, in your minds and in your emotions, and you knew what you were thinking was not useful and it was painful, but you couldn't get out of it, and you're looking outside and it's not changing? This is power to philosophically comfort you. How many of us can relate to desperately needing power to philosophically comfort us? This is why we tell, this isn't about abstinence, this is about inebriation in the spirit. That's what alcohol used to do before it started wrecking my life, was philosophically comfort me. Yes? So this is what they're talking to us about, this power. It says, our human resources as marshaled by the will were not sufficient. They failed utterly. Lack of power. That was our dilemma. So the word dilemma is interesting. Dilemma is another word for an alternative that have two equally objectionable outcomes. A spiritual life or continuing what I'm doing. That's a dilemma. Because I don't know what a spiritual life looks like, but I've assigned a meaning that is unpalatable to me. 
and I know what I've been doing, as much as I've enjoyed moments of it, it's getting real difficult. Does that make sense? Okay. So we had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. They put it in italics. Why does this power by which I can live have to be a power greater than myself? The obvious answer is none of us have the power to live. We think we do. But you didn't bring yourself here. I, right? And I, I did my best to get dead. And yet here I are. I bet some of you have done the same thing. Maybe not intentionally, but death on the installment plan, that's what addiction is. Yeah? Okay. So it says, obviously, but where and how are we to find this power? So that would be the question. If I agree, I need a power by which I can live, and it has to be a power greater than me, because there's a part of me that obviously wants dead, even if I can't identify it. How many of you used well beyond when you knew it was going to have a good outcome? Okay. So I'm going to read one more sentence, and we're going to jump to get some answers, because I hate to leave... People in suspense. <laughs> well, that's exactly what this book is about. The reason we go through this, this book is the collective witness of the first 100. In fact, it's not called the big book. It's called Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And so it is their testimony, which is why we don't change it. We don't alter it. Because it doesn't. we take power out when we change their testimony. So... So the, the, this book is that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. So they're telling us you're going to participate and you're going to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. How many of you have tried to solve your addiction problem with the mind that created it? How many of you have tried to solve other problems with the mind that created it? How many of you have solved your job problem with joblessness? <laughs> Any of you hear a noise under the hood and turn up the radio? <laughs> okay, so we're going to, this power's got to be greater than me. It's not going to be of my own thoughts. Does that make sense? So now we want to go, because they tell us where and how, we want to go to page 55 because we hate to leave people in suspense and then we'll come back and see where we're at. So page 55, they say, second paragraph down, actually we were fooling ourselves. So who's we? The first 100 who have recovered. Seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So all of them collectively were fooling themselves. For deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. Now, don't get it twisted. Over the years, people have said, well, you just write down the characteristics of God you want to believe in, and you just create your own little God in your little book. That's not what they said. They said the fundamental idea of God was in you. They didn't say your idea of God was in you. They said God's idea for you was in you. That's an important distinction because once you find your purpose, the power to carry it out will be evident. Does that make sense? Okay. So it's going to tell us a little bit about this fundamental idea. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other it's there. 
for faith and a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup just as much as a feeling we have for a friend. So how many of you have had a friend? How many of you can recall how that friend made you feel? We're not telling you God's a feeling. What we're telling you is your awareness of that feeling, apart from yourself, is the power we call God. Does that make sense? Because the same friend that could get you all full of butterflies could probably enrage you. Yes? So, if you've ever had a feeling for a friend, you know enough about this power to get started, does that give you hope if you're atheist or agnostic? And if you're of the religious set and you're thinking, I'm saying, I'll say it again, I'm not telling you God is a feeling, I'm telling you your awareness of the feeling is the power we call There you go. All right. So sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. So they told us where and how. So where and how are we going to find this power? Deep down inside. And how are we going to find it? Sometimes we have to search fearlessly. So it would make sense that I'm about to say a prayer asking for power to do a searching and fearless moral inventory of me. To find out what calamities, pomps, and worships are obscuring my consciousness of my power and purpose. Does that make sense? And if we tell people that, you got less people not wanting to do an inventory because people may not want to tell their secrets, but they damn sure want access to power and they also want to know their purpose. Does it make sense? Okay. So then it says, sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. Capital H, they're not being apologetic. They're telling us you're going to discover this reality within you. And I'm here to tell you the answers for you are in you. No matter how many loving people you encounter in our fellowships, they do not have the answers for you. The answers for you are in you. We cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration of that power. And one of the ways we do that is we quit giving you answers and we start giving you questions. Does that make sense? Okay? So sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. He was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality, again capitalized, deep down within us. In the last analysis, it's only there that he may be found. It was so with us. So to hear them when they say in the last analysis that they, maybe they struggled with some doubt, they had some profound experiences, and they said, I can't tell anyone this shit. Holy. <laughs> How many of you have had that happen to you? Had a profound movement of the spirit, and then you're thinking, I'm not telling no one about but if we don't go bear witness to that, we will suffer and so will our collective circle. That's our sole purpose, right? Is to go tell people that there's deliverance, there's power to live accessible today. The age of miracles is still with us. Okay? So we can only clear the ground a bit, but if our testimony helps sweep away prejudice, enables you to think honestly, encourage you to search diligently within yourself, then if you wish, you can join us on the broad highway. God meets you where you are. He gives you a new balance, makes you a new creation, and then infuses you with power and purpose. Why do we not want that? That should be the easiest thing in the world to sell. It's pretty hard, though, isn't it? 
because you can't buy it. Right? Anyway. Okay, so with this attitude, you cannot fail. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. See how they're talking about a tangible sensory awakening? Consciousness of your belief, the awareness of being aware of what I profess to believe manifesting through me and in you. I, I know who you are when I meet you if I've never met you by the signature of the spirit that comes off of us the minute we invoke the name. Make sense? Okay. So they, see how they're not talking about doorknobs, light bulbs, groups of drunks. They're, they're talking about power found within you that will solve your problem. Your problem is probably a lack of identity. So you always tried to create a false identity. And then people started to believe you. Is that true? How many of you wanted to pretend to be something to impress somebody and pretty soon they did, still didn't like you, but now you didn't like you and you found yourself out in the weeds somewhere. So this is going to introduce you to who you always have been, who you are, who you are, and then you can walk out in purpose and victory. Fair enough? Okay. All right, so in this book, you'll read the experience of a man who thought he was atheist. His story is so inter interesting that some of it should be told now. His change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. I'm going to tell that story because I often get to the end, don't have time, then I'm going to go back. So those of you who have been here a hundred times go, he's not doing it right. I know. <laughs> so our friend was a minister's son. How many of you raised in the church? Pastor's kid, something like that. That happens to, okay. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. How many of you weren't a pastor's kid but got a little overdose of religiosity? Okay, all right. For years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble and frustration, business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide. These calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. So they're talking about this particular man's response to the world, the calamities that went on in his life. Any of you suffer some of that? Maybe your family was less than ideal and you sort of took on that identity and then maybe you got out and found you had skills but then you got into your addiction and maybe you hosed it a little. Okay. So post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism, impending mental and physical collapse, brought him to the point of self-destruction. How many of you can relate to that language? In your active addiction, did you not come close to mental and physical exhaustion? Did you? Okay, so this is where this guy finds himself. He had been in the war, he had done his job, he had had this family upbringing that had convinced him that some people didn't tell the truth, or some people lacked the power to demonstrate fully the teachings they advocated. So one night when confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. See how they differentiated? It's not enough to just go talk to someone who drank. I need to know somebody who's been redeemed from the condition of drinking, restored to sanity, and could tell me of the spiritual experience, what they did, what they experienced as a result. But otherwise, I'm not interested in their opinions, because I've tried all that other bullshit. Does that make sense? Okay. So he said, our, our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out, if there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. How many of you have felt that way? How many of you secretly looked around to make sure you weren't hurt? 
just in case. Okay. But later, how many of you have paused and reflected after you had a tantrum? So he's going to talk about what happened. Later, alone in his room, he asked himself this question. They're going to tell you about the moment that he went introspective. Eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. So at some point in our life, a lot of people in recovery will talk about a moment of clarity or whatever. But that's the moment where you look inward to solve your problem instead of outward. And you know, do it intuitively. Any of you know what I'm talking about from your story? Okay. So, so it says, later alone in his room, he asked himself this question. Is it possible that all the religious people I've known are wrong? Pastors, kids, family members, all this stuff. Is it possible they were wrong about all the things they seemed so fervently to believe? While pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. How many of you have been in that quandary where you just are under such an assault that there's just no... Okay. Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought came. It crowded out all else. How many of you have had that great thought? You ever hear that thought that just seemed to be yelling at you? What happened to you when, there, when it came? I'm going to describe for you what he said happened. This man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. The thought was so convicting that he fell out of his bed to his knees. He asked the question, he got the answer. They're describing to you a profound movement of the spirit. So I want, I'm trying to get, if you've had something of this nature and no one ever told you what you experienced was a moment a movement of the spirit, we've got to read their witness for what it is, right? Biblically, Saul got knocked off a horse. Yeah? Struck blind. Told to go in three days, Ananias would come open his eyes. Anyway. He knew, he knew who he was when he hit the ground because Paul, although he's persecuting the very people we're talking about, the first thing he said is, who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? How many of you responded like that when your AA calling finally hit you? Me too. <laughs> Me too. All right. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by the conviction of the presence of God, capital P, conviction of the presence of God. How many of you, some of you are feeling it in here as I'm talking to you. What's happening is not happening from the podium. It's happening in you because if we've had it, no one has to explain it to us. Being overwhelmed by the, that conviction of the presence is unmistakable. Okay, And then it says it poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. Why is it so important we call people's attention to this instead of light bulbs and doorknobs and groups of drunks? Because we leave them condemned to die in addiction because we fear to tell them the truth because of what they'll think of us. And we can't keep doing that, folks. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. You guys remember that moment of standing in the presence of infinite power and love and knowing that there's no more judgment on you. When it was finally okay to be who you are 
because we're not looking at who you've been because now we know whose you are. Okay. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. So we're not looking for a workbook exercise. I'm looking for a companion to navigate life, power to live. Does that make sense? See, I had to read that because the rest of the stuff will be boring compared to that. So we're going we're gonna, to... And it's a lot more animating. It's much hotter up here than I when I started. Um, so I'm back to page 45. That's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. And then we gave you the man's testimony so you can see how his problem was solved. Yes? It says, that means we've written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral, and it means, of course, that we're going to talk about God. Power. That's why you guys haven't been here before. When I say God, you say power. And we don't want to offend any of the people that are still suffering from an overdose of religiosity. Everyone loves power, even if they freak about God. So it's interchangeable to us. Does that make sense? Okay. And the people online, they love hearing you, right? Okay. All right. So, so it means, of course, we're going to talk about God. Here, difficulty arises. Very good. Arises with agnostics. Many times we talk to a new man and watch his hope rise as we discuss his alcoholic problem and explain our fellowship. So back then they took great pains to tell us the difference between our program, which is outlined in this book, and our fellowships where we go to find other people to help and we share the spirit and we make friends. And Does it make sense? But they're not the same and we need to start telling people that so when they say I'm in the program and they're not in the book, then we can help them understand, no, you're not. You're in the fellowship. And it matters because if you're hoping to get free of your limiting thoughts about yourself, we need you in both. You'll be a better fellow if you get in the program. Okay? All right. So um, many times we talk to a new man and watch his hope rise as we discuss his alcoholic problems and explain our fellowship, but his face falls when we speak of spiritual matters especially when we mention God. For we've reopened a subject which our man thought he had neatly evaded or ignored. We know how he feels. So all of us have been harmed by religious people. Yes? Many of us have been harmed by recovery people. Yes? So what we want to do is get access to power so that that tradition can be stopped. Okay? So... We have shared his honest doubt and prejudice. So if you're new to this, your only obligation to yourself is to share your honest doubt and prejudice. And then we can help you. We can't help you unless you do. Right? This is, the beauty is you get to meet God where you are. God will come to you. And then we're going to, as ambassadors of that in relationship with that, we're going to treat you and walk you into your new power and purpose. Yes? Okay. So some of us have been violently anti-religious. To others, the word God brought up a particular idea of him which someone had tried to impress them during childhood. So how many of you had that experience? Okay, so they're acknowledging it. Perhaps we rejected this particular conception because it seemed inadequate. How many of you didn't think that the explanation you had from a given theology fully captured the magnitude of this power that you were and you were right, it doesn't, right? They didn't talk to us about that. 
Okay, so with that rejection, we imagined we'd abandoned the God idea entirely. Power. We were bothered with the thought that faith and dependence upon a power beyond ourselves was somewhat weak, even cowardly. Any of you afraid to pronounce your beliefs for fear of what people would think? How many of you did not, because you really didn't like the behavior of some religious folks, you didn't want to declare yourself that because you didn't want to be compared to them? Okay. So we looked upon this world of warring individuals, warring theological systems, and inexplicable calamity with deep skepticism. So they're still helping us identify our pomps, our worships, and our calamities. Because they're in every one of our story, but they're, they're unique to you, yeah? We looked askance at many individuals who claim to be godly. <laughs> Powerly, yeah. <laughs> How could a supreme being have anything to do with it all? Have you ever had that question? So that's, when they put a question mark, they want you to go inward. They want you to have that experience. How, have I ever thought this way? Have I ever felt this way? And get in touch with that feeling, right? Get introspective in that moment. And who could comprehend a supreme being anyhow? Any of you thought that? The reality is a, a, a supreme being may have the ability to comprehend a supreme being, yes? But that would appear to be above my pay grade, although it may be in my genealogy, because I quite often try and comprehend a supreme being. You ever had a little kid that wanted to pretend to be you? It's kind of the nature of childlike nature to want to be like the adult. Maybe you're, maybe you're wanting to comprehend is simply evidence of your heavenly citizenship. I don't know. Okay, so yet in mo other moments we found ourselves thinking when enchanted by a starlit night, who then made all this? There was a feeling of awe and wonder, but it was fleeting and soon lost. So we got to get this. This is our encounter. If you haven't had your encounter, how many of you have seen something so awe-inspiring in nature that it was almost like an out-of-body experience? And you can relate to that feeling of awe and wonder, like, wow, I can't believe you're showing me this. Yes? And if you, none of you relate to that, how many of you have been in a dangerous situation? <laughs> Look at who I'm talking to, and one raises their hand. <laughs> I would venture to say more than one of you have been in a dangerous situation. <laughs> have you ever had the experience of, in an accident, in a fight, everything seeming to slow down? When that happened, you experienced your consciousness. It's one of the names that we're going to talk about this power, yeah? How many of you have done something athletic? Perfect shot, perfect play, perfect dive, perfect catch. Any of you? Yeah? Did you notice that when you went to make it, no matter how difficult, there was no doubt, no thought or effort on your part. You, you saw your completion. You experienced your intuitive self. Another one of these names that we're talking about this power, right? So we're, we're trying to get to a point where you're starting to acknowledge, yes, I've had those thoughts and experiences. And I assumed because it was flowing through me, it was of me. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So it says, yes, we have agnostic temperament have had these thoughts and experience. Let us make haste to reassure you we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power which is God. Power. 
That's why I wanted to call your attention to an experience you've already had, because every one of us, atheist, agnostic, or a believer dying in addiction of any type, if you've had those thoughts and experiences, if you can be honest with yourself that all that, though that flowed through you, it was not of you, that the brilliant ideas you thought you came up with came to you. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you had a brilliant idea that came out of nowhere and just assumed you did it? But I'm going to have to be responsible for all the less than brilliant ideas I've had if I'm going to claim credit for the one brilliant one I've had. And why take on that kind of burden? Does it make sense? Okay. So it says, much to our belief, relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Why not? Because God is not a conception. And none of us can fully define or comprehend that power which is God. There you go. So our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and effect a contact with him. So how would I make the approach? I've had my encounter. Maybe I'm going to go to a quiet place and write a prayer, or maybe I'm going to read the one out of here. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Does it sound familiar? Okay, so they're leading me to that. Now that I've accessed power, now I'm going to need that power to illuminate my life and show me my power and purpose in it. I'm going to go have my time in Damascus getting my eyes opened. Okay, all right. So um, as soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. So the whole point is, new sense of power and direction. We began to be possessed of. It's flowing through me, but it's not of me. And they gave me a condition, and the condition was what? Provided I took other simple steps. And what do you imagine those would be? Well, I'm in two, so maybe three through twelve. And if I don't go through the entirety of the manner of living and start taking this healing power out for a walk, then I may not grow in consciousness at the rate that's required to keep me from blocking consciousness in the way I know how. Does that make sense? Okay. So, to us, the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It's open, we believe, to all men. When, therefore, we speak to you of God, come on, better than that, Power. When we speak to you of power, we mean your own conception of God. Power. Now understand, for years they've said a God of your understanding. That's not what they said. They said God as we understood him. And they understood God to be this powerful experience of presence. So I can't take someone's word for it. Well, I just did. This is what my sponsor said. Who the fuck cares? <laughs> These guys told me, regardless of what they believed, they were radically changed in that moment, and I want that. Does that make sense? Okay. So, we're going to start with our conception, because God meets us where we are, but we're not going to stay there, because I'm going to grow in consciousness of the experience of God. I'm going to walk tangibly in that presence. Yes? Okay. All right. So, this applies, too, to other spiritual expressions which you find in this book. 
Do not let any prejudice you may have against certain spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. So this is where you're going to have to learn to read the book. You turn the statements into questions. It's not about what someone tells you it says. It's very clear what it says. They're telling of their experience. So I need to quit looking out there for my answers and ask myself these questions and find out that I can prove the power of God to me and through me because they'll come to me. How many of you have had that experience? At the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth to affect our first conscious relation with God as we understood him. So they're talking about a God as they understood him, but they're talking to you about the awareness of being aware of the relationship they were building because of that presence in and on them. Does that make sense? So you can see why they would shed their atheism and their agnosticism, because an agnostic just means you doubt the power. And once the power is flowing through us, there ain't no more doubt. I may doubt that it's coming again next time. In fact, I probably will, which is why the manner of living. Afterward, we found ourselves accepting many things which then seemed entirely out of reach. That was growth, but if we wished to grow, we had to begin somewhere. So we used our own conception, however limited it was. So the promise is, you start where you are, you don't stay where you are. Your obligation is to share your honest doubt and prejudice. Our obligation, collectively, is to answer you honestly if we can, and if not, to get into prayer with you until the answers come. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe, or am I even willing to believe, that there is a power greater than myself? That's the thing you do in a quiet place. That isn't anything you're shamed into. But I want to point out to you, you're in a fellowship where one of the things we do is admit powerlessness over a chemical or a condition. So if you're not willing to believe there's a power greater than you, you're wasting valuable high time hanging around here. Does that make sense? Because there's already a power evidently greater than you or you wouldn't have joined our club. Because this is not an aspiration we have from youth. As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he's on his way. How could they be so emphatic? Have you ever had anyone tell you, man, I felt that. I know what you're talking about. Weren't you excited for him? Hell yeah, because you got a hit of it too. Yes? When we introduce him to power, we get a shot of it too. Same reason I'd stand on a corner and tell him where the guy was flipping the dope. Because I could get a bump when I brought him to the door. None of you ran in that hood? Okay, it's been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. What simple cornerstone? Tangible belief in power. Or belief in tangible power. That cornerstone, that power is the cornerstone. Yeah? Okay, so that was great news to us, for we'd assume we could not make use of spiritual principles unless we accepted many things on faith which seemed difficult to believe. So how many of you stopped your spiritual growth because you thought, those people are weird. I'm out on that. So what we need to do is, no matter where we go, we're going to encounter weird people. So we've got to start focusing on our inward development instead of 
our comfort in the world because you weren't designed to be comfortable in the world. But I just had this conversation today. Sometimes he said to me, I'm sad and I'm lonely and I'm feeling a little empty. I said, yes, you were designed to feel a little empty because a full piece of pottery has outlived its purpose. I can't put anything else in it. So you're always going to feel some emptiness in order to feel some purpose. Yes? Okay. All right. So when people presented us with spiritual approaches, how frequently did we all say, I wish I had what that man has. I'm sure it would work if I could only believe as he believed. Have you ever had that experience? So what I want to point out to you is if you ever had that experience, whether you want to cop to it or not, if you could feel what was being said to you, even if you couldn't comprehend what was being said to you, you already have it. Now all we got to do is wake you up to it. That make sense? All right. So, but I cannot accept as surely true the many articles of faith which are so plain to him, so it was comforting to learn we could commence at a simpler level. So the articles of faith that you may hear from, from me are not a requirement. That's just been my growing experience. But if you want to grow in the spirit, you're going to have to start doing some of the things they did, and you're going to have to start acknowledging the experiences you already have had, and then start working in purpose to sort of have the full experience. Yeah? Okay, so besides the seeming inability to accept much on faith, we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. Have you ever found yourself handicapped by Something, or maybe didn't even know you were handicapped. You ever decide you didn't like people because of the way they dressed or talked or walked? Or you just knew when that some bitch walked in, you didn't like them. <laughs> That's unreasoning prejudice. I don't know anything about them. It shut me off from a whole piece of the world. Are you, are you following me? So now I realize I had been handicapped by that unreasoning prejudice. And now that I find out I get a buzz every time I participate in a healing, I realize that I have been shortchanging me, not just the world. Does it make sense? And I know that the world is missing you if you're here and you've got power and purpose. If I don't awaken you, the world's got no you either. The garden gets better the more of you who awaken. Does it make sense? Okay. All right. So... I went wild again. Now I don't know where the fuck I am. Uh, so it says, faced, I'm going to just jump in the middle of 48. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. So what we want to do is we're not the persuader. So if somebody doesn't want to stop using, we're not here to talk to them about it. I get it. I didn't want to stop using when I was using either. But when I was done, because it was removed from me and I was tore up from the floor up, there wasn't, nobody had to convince me I needed something different. Right? I was what they call reasonable. <laughs> In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. So the only thing you got to know if you're still fighting with the world, is that reasonable? And if, if not, then... Again, we're back where we started. Sometimes this was a tedious process. How many of you have discovered that your active addiction was a tedious process? Where's my people that got out of active addiction were in 
Fellowships of Recovery, but had not had this encounter, hadn't really, and just were fucking miserable. I am stone cold miserable. It's because you're not moving in your power and purpose. Right? And without this power, we got no power to live. And so, it, you know, that power that wants me dead still reigns. Okay? So sometimes it's with a tedious process. We hope no one else will be prejudiced for as long as some of us were. So the idea that I thought I knew what something was was keeping me from going and getting everything I ever wanted. And the thing is, what I thought I wanted is not what I've discovered as I've grown in the spirit that I actually wanted. Because what I've wanted was for all of you, as many of you as I can encounter in my life, to experience freedom. And it wasn't until I let go of what I thought it looked like that I was blessed with the opportunity to see you people get free every day. But I know many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Okay, so the reader may still ask why he should believe in a power greater than himself. So we've gone through some of that, right? We think there's some good reasons. Let's have a look at them. So the practical individual is a stickler for facts and results. Nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts theories of all kinds, provided they're firmly grounded in fact. We have numerous theories, for example, about electricity. Everybody believes them without a murmur of doubt. So does everybody here in this room still believe in electrical theory? Why do we believe in electrical theory? It's still a theory, which means they didn't say electrical fact. So it's another one of those things none of us can fully define or comprehend it, but we have experienced its effects, haven't we? See, the authors were very specific. Remember, half of them were atheists or agnostics. The reason they're calling our attention to things we have faith in that we can't fully define or comprehend, we can't see, is because we've experienced their effects, and they're trying to call their attention. God has effects too, and you have experienced the effects of God, and once you know what they are, improving consciousness is a no-brainer. And without that, you'll never want to improve consciousness because you don't want to improve consciousness of a concept. That is the very definition of mental illness. <laughs> so why this ready acceptance? Simply because it is impossible to explain what we see, feel, direct, and use without a reasonable assumption as a starting point. So my starting point was always me, even though I didn't create me. So all I had to do was acknowledge that there was something involved before my arrival in awareness that did not involve my conscious participation. And now that I'm here and acknowledging that I'm here, then the, the thing that I might want to do is awaken to that power which placed me here. Does that make sense? So it says, everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there's good evidence, but no perfect visual proof, and does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? It's being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world that outward appearances are not inward reality at all. To illustrate, the prosaic steel girder is a mass of electrons whirling around each other in incredible speed. These tiny bodies are governed by precise laws and these laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. We have no reason to doubt it. When, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested that underneath the material world and life as we see it, there is an all-powerful guiding creative intelligence 
right there, our perverse streak comes to the surface and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. We read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments, thinking we believe this universe needs no God to explain it. And when you substitute power, that makes no sense, right? Everything we live in exudes power, and it's the word God that troubles us, not the experience of power. So it's ridiculous to say this universe we live in needs no power to explain it. True? Do you notice the world was reasonably complete when you got here? Were our contentions true, it would follow that life originated out of nothing, means nothing, and proceeds nowhere. Instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation, so what they're talking, when they say a spearhead, they're talking about the driving force. The spearhead of a spear is the driving force of the spear. So instead of regarding myself as that driving force for God's love on earth, I want to we agnostics and atheists choose to believe our human intelligence was the last word. See, that idea didn't come to me. I came up with it. Any of you relate? So it doesn't make any sense when they break it down. This guy was, was an analyst of companies to sell the stock. And so he was a famous atheist that sort of converted to an agnostic and lived out his life as an agnostic. But he laid out the case as an analyst of businesses and stocks he laid out the case why it's more logical to believe than not to believe based on his experience. So I'm trying to lay out a case just like a lawyer would, how you come to believe. Because it should be, I can't move into a conscious relationship without making a conscious decision. So I can't fool myself into it. Does that make sense? Okay. So, so it says, uh, our human intelligence was the last word, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and end of all rather vain of us, wasn't it? So let's go back, because they want us to get honest about that. How many of you made your original decision to become a citizen of the planet Earth? Or was somebody else involved in that decision? Did you have parents? If you had parents and they didn't consult you, you don't know as much about Alpha as you think. That's the beginning, right? Not a theological argument. I'm not talking about when you got here or at conception. None of that. I'm just saying if you didn't make the decision to come as far as you know, you don't know shit about Alpha. Yes? Omega is the end. How many of you watch a lot of people die doing the very things you were doing? How many of you often wondered, why not me? So there went the end. I'm apparently not the determiner of the end. I'm not the determiner of the beginning. And there's a whole lot in the middle I don't recall very well. <laughs> so that would make sense now that that would be rather vain of me thinking that human intelligence that brought me to this point is it. Because I can clearly see that's not a fact. Yes? Okay. So we who have traveled this dubious path beg you to lay aside prejudice. Even against organized religion, we've learned that whatever the fra human frailties of the various faiths may be, those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. People of faith have a logical idea of what life is all about. Actually, we used to have no reasonable conception whatever. Any of you relate to that? Just another day. We're just going through another day. What are we going to do? Same thing we did 
40 in Iraq to start. We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices when we might have observed that many spiritually minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness which we should have sought ourselves. So how many of you finally went back to your church home or your recovery room and you saw that person and they weren't the judgmental one, they were the one that always stood by the door and knew that your coffee cup shook too bad and you couldn't, so they only filled it halfway and they were always kind. Any of you meet them? Okay. Um, instead, we looked at the human defects of these people and sometimes used their shortcomings as a, whole, a basis of wholesale condemnation. We talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. You ever noticed about that? Any of you ever done that? Been disturbed by the way people behave? Was it your thoughts that were disturbing or the way they behave? Did your thoughts about them have any potential to control how they were behaving? So what was in your purview? Only your thoughts. Unreasoning prejudice, right? I know nothing of the intent. I'm quite sure most of the people who offend me didn't intend to offend me. They intended to please them. That's, that's how I usually offend people. Um, we talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. We missed the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. We never gave the spiritual side of life a fair hearing. So all we're trying to say is if you've been neglecting the spirit because of the actions of some people you've encountered, then we would suggest to you that the spirit is different than the actions of people and the power to philosophically comfort you is accessed in the spirit and you'll find it's a lot easier to interact with people if you're in the spirit. Does that make sense? Because that's, it's, it's biblically true. If you don't like people, you don't know God because God loves people. And, and we don't like human behavior, but we kind of do like people. Okay. Sometimes. Not that son of a bitch. Okay. Okay, I'm going to... I'm going to jump to the middle of the page. It says, on one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. So this was back then. This isn't now. But what they used to do is they used to flatly declare. So when they gave up to give testimony in a meeting, it wasn't what it was like. It was what I was like, what happened, what I'm like now, radically transformed by this encounter of power and this purpose in my life. Right? So it says, every one of them has gained access to and believes in. Notice how we gain access to power before we believe in power. You are never expected to believe in something you couldn't have demonstrated for you, in you, and through you. Yeah? All right? And believes in a power greater than himself. This power has, in each case, accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. As a celebrated American statesman put it, let's look at the record. Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. This is the story, the collective testimony of the first 100. They called it the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered. So this is their collective testimony about their experience, which is why this book has remained unaltered all these years. And it, it pays to read it, right? And have someone show you how to read it. Um, they flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power, and to do certain simple things, 
there's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. How many of you have needed along the way a revolutionary change in your way of living and thinking? Okay. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. Does that sound conceptual to you? No, that is, that is what we see. Power, peace, happiness, and a sense of direction. Does that make sense? So that is your second step thing. What does that look like to flatly declare? I don't get up and tell you what I did today to stop drinking and using drugs. Because the answer to what I did to do that is nothing. The desire to destroy myself with synthetic spirits was removed from me many years ago. And I didn't think that was possible. I used and drank no matter what every single day. If I wasn't chained up, locked up, or sometimes both, I did not stop. And then one day, pow! It was gone, and it's never returned. That's not to say I wasn't sick, but I've never returned to active addiction. Why? Because it was, I was delivered from it and recovered. So next week, we're, we'll look at step three. Thanks.